0: Just as we should care about people, whether they're in this country or on the other side of the planet, no matter where they are in space, we should care about people no matter where they are in time as well.
1: My name is Ryan Growney. I'm 16 years old and I'm a high school student. I'm Thomas Growney, Ryan's twin brother.
2: I'm Chris Growney. I'm a retired tech executive and investor.
3: I'm Thomas and Ryan's dad. The two brothers and their dad are looking for ways to disrupt the old models of youth service. Service should be engaging.
2: We've got the drive. We've got the resources. We've got the capital. We have the passion. We have to take our inspiration and turn it into real actionable progress. And we
3: want to change the world. Welcome to Service Academy. In the months since we started this podcast, the Grownies have disrupted what social entrepreneurship looks like at their school. We've listened in as Thomas and Ryan utilized grassroots methods, gleaned from show features like Alessandra Orofino and Wendy Kopp, to create youth service opportunities in their community. The boys have collaborated with Youth Volunteer Corps and grown into their role as thought leaders in this space, even moderating a panel at Catalyst 2030. All told, pretty remarkable accomplishments for two teens and their dad in one school year. So as season one draws to a close of the Service Academy podcast. What's happening this summer for the Grownies?
1: Thomas and I are super excited. We're going to Brown University, actually, for two weeks to do a summer program on social entrepreneurship. And that's going to be super cool just because we've done a lot of this on our own. It's gonna be nice to see what they're teaching in classrooms and also be able to meet people like us, you know, the people who wanna help change the world. And so meeting them is gonna be a super amazing experience.
4: My brother and I are also volunteering at Experience Camps, a grief camp for youth up in Maine
1: and we love experience camps. I think what they're doing is so, so great and so, so important.
4: And I'm really excited to be around those interesting people who are doing amazing things in service. And I hope to learn as much as I can from those people.
1: And after that, Thomas and I are splitting up. I'm going to Duke and he's going to Tulane for another two-week summer program. She's doing an engineering program and I'm doing one on econometrics. I mean, I don't really know what it is, but I think it's very similar to what Dr. Nelson did with surfonomics. I think it would be super, super cool Cool to create something like service economics, What is the actual value of service five years, 10 years, 20 years down the line in regards to income and happiness and all that stuff? And I think that that's going to be a super cool project to work on while I'm at
3: Duke. Today's feature is Will McCaskill, A Scottish philosopher and best-selling author whose research on moral uncertainty, utilitarianism, and the ethics of future generations helped pioneer the effective altruism movement. Today's
1: super wealthy are richer than ever and they're giving away their billions like never before. Donors large and small are demanding better bang for their buck. But how altruistic is this new golden age of giving? The way charities work is increasingly under the microscope. This is leading to innovative new approaches to doing good, which are redefining notions of altruism.
0: I want to fundamentally, I want to make the world a better place. I'm asking the question, how can we do as much as possible to make the world better? That's what effective altruism is about. There are just so many problems in the world, Mm -hmm. extreme poverty, Mm -hmm. factory farming, chance of the next pandemic. How do we prioritize among them if we want to do as much good as we can?
1: William McCaskill is a Scottish ethicist, and he's probably the most famous for being one of the founders of a movement called Effective Altruism. And so, Effective Altruism is kind of two things at once it's both a research field, which is trying to identify the world's most pressing problems, and also a community which is using that research to try to maximize their positive impact.
2: Um, Will, as I'm sure you know, is an associate professor um, of philosophy at Oxford University. He's a senior research fellow at the Global Priorities Institute. Will is a progenitor of the effective altruism movement, and he co-founded 80,000 Hours, Giving What We Can, and the Center for Effective Altruism. He's also the author of Doing Good Better, Moral Uncertainty, and What We Owe the Future.
0: The idea behind effective altruism is caring about doing good per se, just whatever it takes to make the world a better place. Actually thinking about the consequences of your actions, cashing out the impact of the consequences of your actions in terms of how they affect people's lives, how much do they improve people's lives.
5: There's a new movement trying to answer this question called effective Altruism.
4: So they're trying to just approach this question of how can we do absolutely the most good possible for the most people possible? It's a big task. But they're trying to do this in a data-driven way, which isn't exactly new, but they're really trying to take it to a whole new level.
0: Effective altruism is a philosophy and a community that's about trying to figure out how can we do as much good as possible with the time and money we have, and then taking action on that basis. So putting those ideas into practice to actually try to make the world better as effectively as possible, whether that's through our donations, with our careers, with how we vote, with our consumption decisions, just with our entire lives.
5: Today, the effective altruism movement is huge, with tens of organizations and hundreds of members controlling millions of dollars. And their star philosopher, William MacAskill, wrote a best-selling book called What We Owe The Future, which was recommended by Elon Musk himself. That's how you know it's good.
1: You advise tech billionaires, actually, on how to give away their money. Elon Musk has promoted your book.
5: But the movement started from comparatively humble beginnings in 2009 at Oxford University, when McCaskill was thinking about ethics and charity and how to help the poor.
0: In my personal case, in 2009, I was extremely concerned by global poverty, very convinced by Peter Singer's arguments, but feeling very stressed and no one seemed to be doing anything about it. But then I met this guy, Toby Ord, who was another academic. Toby started telling me about Giving What We Can, when he said that he planned to give away everything he earned above £20,000 per year. He was saying, this is an amazing opportunity. I am lucky to be born into the richest few percentile of the world's population. This gives me an amazing opportunity to do good in the world. So he was really going for that, and it just kind of blew me out of the water.
3: Toby Ord is an Australian philosopher who early in his career pledged to give a significant portion of his income to the most effective charities he could find. He then went on to found Giving What We Can, an organization whose members pledge at least 10% of their income to alleviate world poverty, and has been an influential group in the effective altruism movement. I love that
2: example of McCaskill meeting Toby Ord and how actions, even if they don't seem like it's a, on a huge scale at the moment, can multiply down the road by putting you in touch with the right people and really inspiring them to change their behavior as well, maybe even becoming a powerful evangelist for change in others.
0: After I graduated from Cambridge, after I did my undergraduate degree, I uh, started work as a fundraiser for Care International, this large international development charity. And it meant that all day, every day, I was talking about global poverty and the seriousness, and I was encouraging people to give money to it. And I was just encountered by apathy over and over again in general. Most people just seemed not to care. And that just seemed terrible to me. Charities and
2: nonprofits have a major impact in helping to reduce world poverty. In 2005, 1.4 billion people, which is one in four people in the developing world, were living below $1.25 a day. Today, that number is 736 million people worldwide living below the poverty line, earning less than $1.90 a day.
0: There were 1.4 billion people living on less than $1.25 a day. This $1.25 a day, that doesn't mean, you know, what $1.25 could buy in Kenya, let's say, where the money goes much further. It means what $1.25 would buy in the US, less than a bag of ice. That's what people in the developing world, 1.4 billion people, that's what they were living on every single day.
4: Those numbers seem almost like incomprehensible to me. Like 100, 736 million people with earning less than $2 a day. Like Yeah, how...
1: but I mean, it's actually, it's such an improvement from 1.4. Like we halved it and the, um, I guess the poverty line went up. It, <laughs> hey, it's still pretty bad. <laughs> you can bad. earn more and still be considered below that poverty line, but there's still half as many people. So I think that's a pretty big improvement. Although,
2: I mean, it's It's in no way like- Isn't that twice the population of the United States? I, I, you know, it's an improvement. I guess at some point each of those, it's crazy is that 736 million individual lives.
1: We are naturally inclined to pay attention to and focus on the things that are closest to us geographically and, and culturally and socially.
5: Just because somebody is far away doesn't mean they matter less. There are people who need help in your neighborhood and people who need help in developing nations. And just because some of them are closer doesn't mean you should help them first.
1: Yes, of course, if I have an obligation to save the child who's drowning right in front of me, why don't I have something like the same obligation to save a child who's drowning on the other side of
0: the world?
4: So last year, Will released What We Owe the Future, where he argues that the current social giving is good, but we aren't thinking carefully enough about the future of humanity and what that might look like.
0: And just as we should care about people, whether they're in this country or on the other side of the planet, no matter where they are in space, we should care about people no matter where they are in time as well.
5: Isn't
4: it weird, right? There's something kind of off-putting about the hypothetical future of people, and instead of prioritizing people who are suffering now. Like, why should I care about somebody in ten years if
1: there's millions of people
4: living on less than two dollars a day today?
1: So I'd say that they aren't just doing that; they're actually helping kind of both groups of people. Like, I mean, um, I mean, a life is a life, and whether that life exists now or exists across the world or exists in twenty years, that's still a life, right? And there's still we still have responsibility to help them out. Yeah, but who gets to decide what's most effective?
4: Who gets to decide what causes are most important? What time scale are we talking about here? Who gets to decide where the money goes once you donate it? And I think that some people criticize this movement for just being a bunch of white guys who decide that it's their most pressing ethical issue. And even if you have the best intentions, your background impacts your worldview.
2: We can't choose the circumstances we're born into. But for many of us, definitely the three of us here, it can be hard to admit that what's the phrase that sunil uses that you're born on third base you've got advantages and you have a better opportunity set and pathways as a result of just dumb luck right but but i do believe that once you appreciate that part you start to understand the sense of responsibility that comes with that. Looking at that squarely is really important. Whether you're
1: across the globe or in the future, his eye is on kind of allocating funds to help the greatest number of people, which is such a cool idea. And so it reminds me of this book that I read actually, which is um, the Ministry for the Future that kind of delves into this idea too. It's like, what do we owe the future? How much should we kind of invest in future humans? If we don't
2: ruin the planet today, If we don't burn this thing up, then we potentially could be allowing billions of people to live in the future.
3: It's also interesting to see how
0: many billionaires, everybody from Bill Gates to Elon Musk, who don't even agree with each other, by the way, and have both said, oh, yeah, I I really like what William is saying. I really agree with this. I think we should be giving away vast amounts of our wealth. Um, We've raised well over um, or moved well over the billion dollars to the most effective causes
2: you know if you go work for exxon and make a billion dollars
0: you know ruining the planet do you get credit for
2: giving away the full billion and the answer should be probably no
4: yeah i mean all that's fair i I do feel like that that it seems like he puts his money where his mouth is and he really spearheads a call to action to the world's wealthiest and most influential people to do the most and give the most because they can and they should
0: so you you donate more than 50 percent of your income to causes that you believe in. Yeah, that's right. Like, yeah. Right, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. And,
3: and some people would say, insane.
0: How can it be morally justified for me to be buying luxuries and pursuing this esoteric philosophy career while so many people are living in such dire conditions? Someone who's earning $100,000 per year, I mean, they're well, well into the richest 1% of the world's population. And if they were earning $90,000 per year, or even $80,000, they would still be in the richest 1% of the world's population. I think I have like a responsibility to use you know, that privilege to okay. do good in the world.
2: It makes sense, right, for Bill Gates to give away a billion dollars, but for someone who is living paycheck to paycheck, how do you sort of consider them giving their 10%? And 10% has got a long history in terms of religious tithing and those types of things. And what would you say about that? Giving your 10% for people who are living paycheck to paycheck like that, you know the value of that 10%. Value doesn't mean economic value, it means satisfaction, feeling of belonging, and feeling of doing good in the
0: world. So I, I do agree. I don't have a big car house, I don't have a fancy car, right. but I do have wonderful relationships, I've got wonderful friends, I'm also part of this broader community, effective altruism community, that is inspiring, hardworking, people who are really focused on trying to make the world better. And. I hope at least we're really making a positive difference. And that's just, that's worth more than all the luxury goods that money could buy. Yeah, what I
2: think effective altruism is trying to do is draw more people into giving by saying, if you forgo this cup of coffee, or if you forgo this luxury good, you actually can be able to impact these lives efficiently personalizing that would increase your chances of likely giving.
0: What are the charities where the money really goes farthest? Concretely, how many people are you benefiting and by how much? And one thing we found is that just looking at global health and well-being to begin with, you can save a life for about a few thousand dollars. That means that, yeah, if you are even just on a typical U.S. salary, then by donating 10% of your income, you can save dozens of lives over the course of your life. That's just incredible. People can be inspired to do amazing things, Mm -hmm. terrific things. Uh, Again, I've seen this. Now thousands of people committing to give at least 10% of our income, often much more, to those causes that will do the most good.
2: Yeah, I love Will's optimism. I mean, everyone wants to do good. And effective altruism in their entire community is focused on finding ways to make people feel good about the money that they're giving by making it effective
4: so i really do like that their focus on outcomes specifically but it does kind of make me worry that it could bias them towards doing projects that are just simply easier to measure getting mosquito nets for children in africa or getting food to people who are malnourished but how do you quantify the impact of let's say no sass from our first
2: episode effective altruism as a concept is going to be around for a long time how they're implementing it right now within their foundation may or may not be the right way that's going to take hold. But I think as a concept, it's a great way of thinking about things. And the more people think about it, frankly, more people might come in and get involved in giving.
0: I think the core argument is very simple. It's that future people matter morally. It's that there could be enormous numbers of future people. And then finally, that we can make a difference to the world they inhabit. Many of us, most of us, in fact, when we think about what values do we want to have? How do we want to think of our lives when we look back on our lives on our deathbeds? We think, yeah, I want substantially improving the lives of others to be a part of that. Even if I thought I didn't have any moral obligations at all, I'd still be really excited about making the world a better place. Most people really want to be good.
2: We believe effective altruism is the philosophical equivalent of Service Academy. Professionalizing effective resource allocation, in this case for people that have a lot of extra money, we're looking to professionalize a resource allocation of a young person's time and service efforts and their resources so they can be most effective, not just in terms of changing the world, but in terms of developing their own skills towards their own aspirations.
1: I guess you could think of the effective altruism movement as a social business, but one where the social part and the business part are completely separate. They're saying that you should go out and do business as well as you possibly can, and then separately you should go out and maximize your positive impact. And obviously that could lead to some trouble if you don't really think about
2: these things carefully. What we're trying to do is to get people to rethink what service is and can be and it shouldn't be limited only to the set of service opportunities you heard about before. But to a large degree, they've actually proven it already. They've said that these things are more effective than those things just objectively, meaning there are more people eating more food that were hungry because of this program than from that program. Is feeding people really the the, best best goal? Uh
4: The other question that I have, are they more focused on people now or people in the future?
1: It's hard to quantify a life hundred years in the future is the mm-hmm. same as a life right now. If that's the case then every dollar and every second that we spend focusing at all on the now is costing the
2: lives of millions or even billions of future people. I, I think these guys are pretty sophisticated and they do a lot of thinking about uncertainty and how to account for complex effects. It seems that this idea of valuing a life a hundred years from now as the same as the person sitting across from me, it's a really tough thing for people to get their head around Um, You do have to sort of suspend some emotion to allow that to happen. But when I suspend that emotion, I'm like, yeah, it is. It's true. And in a lot of ways, if I can save the person in front of me or save five people in the future, that should be the way that we should look at the world. But once emotion gets involved and the person across from you is a person you love and care about, it gets really complicated.
3: Thanks for listening to Season 1 of Service Academy. We'll be back in a couple of months after the guys have finished X-Camps and are ready to start senior year at St. George's. As usual, please rate, subscribe, and share with anyone you think might like this episode. This summer, the Groundies are thinking about how we maximize our impact given the resources that we have. If you got thoughts on that or anything else from Season 1, they'd love to hear from you at serviceacademy.org. See you in a couple months when we'll be hitting the ground running with Season 2.